So I'm going to show you around uh, Lutheranism here this morning, and I'm really glad that you're here today. Welcome to all of you. We'll be doing the blood tests uh, outside uh, after the services. Uh, and at each campus, that'll be happening. So Pastor Scott and Ankeny has the needles ready to go, and Pastor Eric and Johnston Grimes and Pastor Pat. Hi, guys, uh, out at Waukee, and uh, Danny up in Ames, and who did I forget? John in Des Moines, and yeah, we'll, we'll take care of that as we go. We want to make sure it's a pure Lutheran church. We don't want any non-Lutherans sneaking in. Uh, so there, there goes like 80% of hope just got up, and uh, all right, well, we're... We're gone, and that's what makes this uh, really wonderful place is there is a, a minority of Lutherans who've been lifelong Lutherans who are a part of this church, and we're really glad that you're here if that's you, uh, but for the most part, God has built this church together as a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds, or no background is one of the more common ones uh, of not growing up in any church, and so if that's you, you're in the right place as well. And so I think you might be a little surprised to discover what it means to be a Lutheran, uh, what, what a Lutheran is, and I think it's important for us to do once in a while, since our first name is Lutheran Church of Hope, I don't want you to be unaware, because the misunderstandings aren't just, you know, in Hollywood on a movie clip from the movie Raising Helen, where, where uh, she called him father. There was a time not that long ago, I was on an airplane, and I you never know what you're going to get, right, when you sit on an airplane, like who's going to sit next to you and whether they'll be chatty or not. Uh, and this guy was an older gentleman, and he was really chatty. And he asked me early on, what, what do you do for a living? What's your, is that, here we go. Uh, you know, because when you open that up, anything can happen that you're a Lutheran pastor. So I told him, I'm a school teacher. And I, no, I, I do some teaching, but I, I didn't go down that road. I said, I'm a... I said, we might as well just put it all out there, full disclosure. I said, I'm a Lutheran pastor. And uh, he goes, oh, wow. <laughs> he said, I couldn't do that. He said, I, I, I'm a married man, and I'd have to be married. I, I, there's no way I'd, <laughs> I'd be able to, to, to be a Lutheran pastor like that. How do you do that? And I said, oh, I don't know. I just hang around with my girlfriend sitting right over here. And, uh, <laughs> Got a ring from her, you know, the other day. So there's a lot of misunderstandings, and sometimes it's because from the outside looking in, but it's not just that. Sometimes it's from the inside looking around. In uh, traditional Lutheran churches, like some of us, a minority of us grew up in here at Hope, we think being a Lutheran, if we aren't careful, is all about potlucks, pipe organs, and prairie home companion, to name three Ps. And we say, this is our heritage, and this is our experience, and these are the things that were highlighted, and, and there'll be some others too. It'll, it'll be things, you know, like Lefsa and Ludafisk and, and Oli and Lena jokes and things like that, but it's so much more than that. And these are all good things. I'm not dismissing these at all. Potlucks are awesome, and we have some around here once in a while. My first potluck experience is when I was uh, about seven, that I remember, I had some before that, maybe six or seven, and I'm in the middle of three brothers, and we were the pastor's kids at American Lutheran Church in Kellogg, Idaho, and kind of um, energetic, to say the least, and uh, so it was potluck Sunday after the service, and everybody brought their dish to share, but what you learn early uh, when you're a Lutheran kid growing up with potlucks every month or so, is you look for the bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Because that, while it's not the healthiest food in the world, I'm not suggesting that, 
at least you know it was made up to certain sanitary standards, you hope, and, and so you're gonna dig into, you're not gonna go home sick um, because it's potluck. You do not know uh, what you're getting at a potluck dinner. And so the chicken bucket was empty and my brothers and I snuck into the kitchen and we did what we started to do on a regular basis. I hesitate to even say this. It's kind of embarrassing because Lutherans love their coffee and with coffee comes cream and sugar and sugar are the little cubes and the little boxes that would come. Well, we found the sugar cube drawer in the kitchen and we just started popping those babies straight, you know, like with no coffee chaser. It was, it was an awesome potluck that day. We, we really enjoyed it. Flying, bouncing off the walls the rest of the day. But the definition of what a Lutheran is is much deeper than traditions. It's also deeper than just who's a Lutheran. Here's a, here's a kind of a composite uh, of famous Lutheran celebrities who are Lutheran, just for fun. Jo Johann Sebastian Bach, uh, great Lutheran composer, a uh, great classical composer, but inspired to write what he wrote because of his upbringing in the Lutheran church. And so he wrote these uh, great pieces that pointed people to the majesty of God. If you don't like his particular kind of music, there's Lyle Lovett, who's a lifelong Lutheran, go figure. If you don't like that brand of entertainment, the church lady is Lutheran. Actually, the guy who plays the church lady, Dana Carvey, grew up in a Lutheran church in Canada. Dr. Seuss is Lutheran. Steve Jobs was a member of a Lutheran church growing up. Kirsten Dunst is Lutheran. Bill Cartwright, the center of the dynasty teams of the Bulls of the 1990s. <sighs> Moment of silence, just of joy, good memory. Nadia Bowles Weber is a Lutheran pastor today. She's a best-selling author in the New York Times bestseller. Jeff Bridges is a Lutheran. His brother, Bo Bridges, is a Lutheran. Their dad, Lloyd Bridges, is a Lutheran. All the Bridges are Lutheran. Uh, the ones over Madison County are Lutheran, too. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a Lutheran, the famous NASCAR driver. His dad, Dale Earnhardt Sr., is a Lutheran. In fact, they're so deeply rooted in, in Lutheranism as, as a family not that long ago, Dale Jr. proposed to his girlfriend in a Lutheran church in Germany that 300 years ago, the Earnhardts attended, his ancestors in Germany. That's how deep he is into his Christian faith of a Lutheran branch. And Margaret's a Lutheran, Martin Luther King Jr. is not a Lutheran, but his name is, he's named after a Lutheran, <laughs> Martin Luther. And there's actually more to that story that kind of brings it all together that I think is worth mentioning. Martin Luther King Sr. actually went to Germany uh, when his son, Martin Luther King Jr., was five years old or so. He went to Germany, his father did. Uh, his name was actually Michael King Sr. And when he went to Germany, he was so inspired by what he saw of the Protestant Reformation history that Martin Luther started 500 years earlier, that he changed his name from Michael King Sr. to Martin Luther King Sr. He came home and told his son, you've got a new name now. You were born Michael King Jr. I'm not, look this up. You were born Michael King Jr., but from now on, you will be known as Martin Luther King Jr., which is interesting, but what to me makes it even more interesting is Martin Luther King Jr. was named after a reformer who protested things that were corrupt to make the world a better place. 
And that's exactly what his namesake did, Martin Luther King Jr., in the 1960s through the civil rights movement in this country. He was a Protestant reformer who brought reformation to this country in a way we desperately needed it at that particular time. So he certainly is following in sync with his name. But being a Lutheran is more than just who has some connection to Lutheranism or our Lutheran traditions. At its core, it's about what we believe. It's about our, our, our foundational understanding of God. And I put something up like this last week, and I'm going to do it again because I think it's an important graphic. If you weren't here, um, if you were at the Solheim Cup or somewhere else and you missed out, I encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from last week. If you were here, you saw a little bit of this, but I'm going to take it a little further this week as we move through this series. You didn't have to be here last week, though, in order to understand this week's message or the rest of them. Here's a ladder. And the way the church traditionally taught until Martin Luther's day 500 years ago, what the church traditionally taught was to get from where we are to where we want to be, from earth to heaven, from us to God, from point A to point B, is we have to find our way up the ladder of moral good works. We have to be nice, we have to do good things, we have to um, probably do some religious things, and taken to an extreme in the Roman Catholic Church of Luther's day, they would sell indulgences, these pieces of paper sealed by the Pope that said your sins are forgiven, and it'll only cost you half a year's wages. So there was this ladder, that's corruption, because it isn't biblical. So there's this ladder that, that, that religious people, Christians, would teach in Luther's day, and Luther was a Roman Catholic monk and a priest, and so he was a part of that. But the deeper he got into God's word, the more he discovered is the Bible doesn't describe this. Thank God. The Bible doesn't have anything to say about what we have to do to stand right in the sight of a holy God. What the Bible does say is that God loves you so much he sent his son to us into this world so that if we just believe in him, we will not perish but we'll have everlasting life. And so our salvation comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And there is no shortcut. And there is no plan B. And there's no way for us to get from where we are to where we want to be. We can't jump that high. Oh, you can do good works. We all can, and hopefully we are. But they don't earn salvation. They don't make us right in the sight of God. And we could never do enough to climb up this ladder because every time we sin, we go down the ladder. We fall back down to the beginning. That's the revelation of God's word, which is why Lutheranism at its core is all about what we believe. And here's the part that might surprise you. It's not a new religion. It's, it wasn't even about starting a new denomination. It wasn't about running away from the Catholic Church even. It was about a Roman Catholic priest who wanted to lead the church back to God, who opened up this book, the Holy Bible, discovered what it actually said, and realized it doesn't say this, it says that. It doesn't say that, that, that our whole Christian faith is about all these things that we do in order to earn brownie points in heaven, in order to gain God's favor. It's what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
You, if you've been at Hope for any period of time, you've heard this said from all the different preachers who are here in all sorts of different ways, but it always points back to this, because this is this foundational truth that we believe in, and we don't believe in it because it makes us feel good, or because it's more comfortable, or because we wanted to develop a new spirituality or a new religion, or this is our flavor instead of some other flavor. We believe this because this is what the Bible says, and at its heart, that's what it means to be a Lutheran. It isn't to be a part of some religion. It isn't to be a part of some denomination. It's to be a part of a movement that gets back to the Bible, which reveals to us this amazing good news, this truth that there is a God, this God loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son so that you can have a new life now and an eternal life forever. And so, these two principles sum up all of the Protestant Reformation. And they form the foundation of what we believe, not just as Lutherans, as Christians. As Protestant Christians, for sure, of any denominational stripe. Luther started the whole thing, and other Protestants, as geographically it moved to different parts of Europe and different parts of the world, that's where things like Presbyterians and Baptists and Episcopalians and Methodists and on and on and on the list goes. That's where they started to pop up, even non-denominational people. This is where we land. It's all because of Luther. It's all, and it's not because he said, well, I want to start a new spirituality. I want to, I want to change, I want to have some innovative kind of crazy new religion. No, it was as old as could be. It was just peeling back the layers and getting back to what God's word says. So let's read these two beliefs together. Number one, salvation is a gift. Let's read it again. Salvation is a gift. Now I want you to, I know this is a Lutheran church, but I want you to lean into it like you're Pentecostal. I want you to pretend, not pretend, I mean fake it till you make it if you have to, but this is really good news. I want you to think about this because here's the reality. This, apart from grace, apart from salvation being a gift, you and I have no hope. There is no hope. We have no chance of getting into heaven if salvation isn't a gift. And it's not just some theology or some denomination that teaches this or some, some, some priest from 500 years ago. It's the word of God promising and revealing this truth to you. You have been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not your own doing, lest any of us should boast, but it is a free gift from God. That's not a quote from Martin Luther, that's a quote from the Bible. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It is a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. Where would you be without this gift? Celebrate it, shout it out together. All of our campuses, Ankeny and Ames, Johnston, Grimes and Waukee, Des Moines and here in West Des Moines, watching online all around the world right now, wherever you are, if you're in an airport terminal at a gate, shout it out. <laughs> Tell the world around you, let's shout it out together. Come on church, what is it? Salvation. Oh, yes it is. Yes it does. There's a party going on here, and you're invited. And as your pastor, I don't want you to miss it. Don't let words like this become mundane. Don't let truths like this become some sort of like religious thing. This is world-changing good news. This is the kind of stuff 
that turned history of planet Earth around and put it on a whole new trajectory 500 years ago. This is no small thing. This is a radical move of God's Holy Spirit. And here's the most exciting part. You are Lutheran Church of Hope, you and I together. And we're a continuation of this movement. We're an ongoing part of the body of Christ that reminds everybody, no, 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 no. We will not wander away from God's word. We will not step out of that and fall into the ditch of traditions and and thinking that you need intermediaries and professional clergy in order to get to God. It's the priesthood of all believers, the Bible says. You're all priests and there is one God and we all have different gifts and we all have different opportunities to serve, but this is the party we're invited to. And it's based on God's word, not a denomination. To be Lutheran means we get to the Bible, which gets us to our second principle and belief, upon which the whole church is built. Scripture alone is our authority. Let's read that one together, all campuses. Scripture alone is our authority. Man, that's big too. Because that's not the way it was. Or the way it is in a lot of other expressions of faith outside of Bible-based Christianity. To be a Lutheran means Bible-based, Christ-centered, spirit-led. It means to get back to what this book says we are as our only source and norm for all matters of faith and daily life. In other words, what we teach and what we practice and how we live it out, where our boundaries are, where our guidelines are, how that all lays out. Because this book, number two, points us to number one. I don't want to send the wrong message to you. While these are the two building blocks upon which the whole entire Protestant Reformation is built, there's a lot more to the story. (laughs) And that's what we'll be digging into, the details and how this applies in a relevant way to our daily lives. How you can get to this party, how you can get the most out of this party, how you can be a part of this movement, the difference it makes for you and the difference it makes for the world around you. Here we stand. And to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, that's what this Lutheran church is going to do over the next several weeks. Keep coming. Invite your friends back. Next week, we start diving into Martin Luther's small catechism, which is a Bible-based summary, a biblical summary of what the Christian life is supposed to look like in detail, how we're supposed to live it out. Because it was important to Luther because it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. And that points us to this gift of God's love, salvation, poured out for us freely. It all started when Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church 500 years ago this October. When he did, little known fact, he said, what do you think of my 95 theses? And the people who were there to see it first said, you totally nailed it. (laughs) No, too cheesy, over the top, move on. We'll just keep going. I don't think you want to encourage that with, I heard one, my mom, yes, yes, that's awesome. At the core of those 95 theses, at the core of the Reformation, it's not just about these two principles, but those two principles are the building blocks. You can go to a, a library at a Lutheran seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, Luther Seminary, my seminary, and you can find nine floors We called it affectionately the stacks. Book upon book upon book upon book upon book. And it's either about interpretation of scripture or it's about Reformation church history. 
nine floors of writings on these two principles upon which a skyscraper of faith has been built. And that's just what's in this one library. You could have 20 lifetimes and not get to the bottom of all the great teaching that came out of the Reformation 500 years ago. And it's great because it pointed people back to Scripture. It pointed them back to grace and faith. Sola gratia and sola fide, grace alone and faith alone. And then sola scriptura, the word of God alone. Upon these two things, our entire faith is built. And this is what it means to be a Christian. And this is what it means to be a Christian of a Lutheran stripe too, because it's our story. That's the movement. Salvation is the gift and scripture alone is our authority. So here's how that plays out. And this to me is uh, where things get really practical and relevant and down to earth for all of us. It plays out in two ways. I, I mean, I could talk about 500 different things, but it's number one, it gives you access. Everyone say access. access. And number two, it gives you freedom. Everyone say freedom. freedom. The gift of God's salvation produces these wonderful gifts. So for the rest of this sermon, we'll just focus on those two, and then we'll pick it up again next week. These are gifts that keep on giving. The gift of God's word, the gift of scripture, which points us to this free gift of salvation. You ever think back over your life and think about those gifts that meant the most to you? Sometimes it's kind of surprising, because you know, the, the Christmas present or the birthday present or whatever gift you get from a parent or a friend or a loved one or a grandparent, aunt or uncle, neighbor, Somewhere along the way you think, well, this will be the big one, this, is the, this was the expensive one, or this was the one that's going to mean the most to me. I was thinking about that this week, and I remembered third grade when I got these three things. And all three of these were gifts that kept on giving in my life. Number one, I, I got a basketball. It's not this one, this is a, this is a new one, but I, I, I got it in third grade, I'd had other basketballs before, you know, like the plastic one you get at the grocery store. But this was the first year I got a real basketball. Leather. And back then, if, if you can kind of see on the picture there, the leather on those basketballs was already, it already looked worn when you opened it up, brand new. And then you went outside and started dribbling it out, out on the driveway. And after five minutes, it was complete toast. I mean, it was just, it, was, it looked even worse but it was so well made, it lasted for years. Man, I took that basketball with me everywhere. I, I, I put it in my room at night. I'd go outside, I'd shoot hoops, into, put the lights on over the garage. I'd shoot by myself, I'd, I'd shoot with my brothers, I'd play with my friends, layups, uh, free throws. We didn't have three-pointers back then, but you know, we shot them anyway. And, and we, we'd do hook shot, the, the whole thing. I, love, I just had a passion for this game. And then God made me six foot five. I was like, thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. And so I kept playing. I played through high school. I played through college. It was a love. I didn't play because I was going to, you know, be, make the NBA. I played because I loved the game. Because I just loved the way a basketball feels in my hands. Because I, I loved the way the game uh, works together. I, I love the camaraderie of, of having teammates and working toward a common goal together, and what, what it's like to do life together with those guys for a whole season. I loved everything about basketball. My friend Mitch Trapila and I, when I was a kid in Montana, 
he'd come over and he had the same passion and we, we started a basketball league with our friends after school. Organized the whole thing, we're a little weird. Or, he's now a state senator in Montana. We organized the whole thing, had our friends come over, picked teams, divided up, had no parents, no referees, and no uniforms. Imagine that. It was awesome. And we learned to play the game and we fought our own fights and we, we, we got through it. I mean, it was, it was the thing I lived for. It's the gift that kept on giving. Even as a new pastor at Hope, when I was 29, a few years ago, uh, I was on the first Lutheran Church of Hope rec league basketball team. And some of you are there to remember it, so I'm just gonna put this out there as a confession and just so you realize, I'm not climbing up some ladder to heaven on my own. The first game I ever went to is the Lutheran Church of Hope starting three, you know, uh, small forward. I got kicked out for yelling at the ref. <laughs> I feel better just letting you all know. So, so there it was. And as I'm walking out, the, gym, the ref's like, you're out, you're gone. As I'm walking out, I heard him say, who is that guy? That's our pastor. <laughs> oh, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't be able to get married. <laughs> the other gift I got that year was a Schwinn Varsity bicycle, 10 speed. That was the bomb. Anybody who's in, from my era, there was the Varsity, the Continental, and something else I can't remember, but I got the Varsity, and that, that changed my life. It gave me freedom. Suddenly I could explore, suddenly I could see things I'd never seen before. But the one gift that I got, which I was excited about when I got it, but I didn't realize it would be the one that would keep on giving long after I've retired from playing basketball, long after my Schwinn 10-speed is who knows where, in a junkyard somewhere. I've still got the Bible that my Lutheran church gave me when I was in third grade. They even stamped my name on it at the bottom, which I thought was pretty cool. And so my friend Mitch Trapila and I, we got together and we challenged each other. So we're going to read the whole Bible. Let's see who can do it first. So I set up this thing where I'd read a chapter of the Bible every day, and I started in Genesis, and it's a pretty exciting book. Creation's a good story. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, woo, wow, that's kind of... It's not, it's PG-13 at best, right? And then you turn the page and you read about the most dysfunctional families in the history of, of the human race. You think reality TV is something? You should read Genesis. And so that's exciting, Joseph and his Technicolor dream coat and the whole thing. And then you turn the page into Exodus and it's Moses and it's Pharaoh and it's the Ten Commandments and the parting of the Red Sea before that and Mount Sinai and all this drama and all this adventure and all this action and all this excitement. And then you turn to Leviticus. <laughs> and then Deuteronomy, or Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then you skip ahead to Matthew, <laughs> and you tell Mitch Trapila, I'm just going to go right to the New Testament, and you go. But, you know, in defense of some of the books of the Bible that are not as entertaining, the Bible wasn't written for our entertainment. It was written to tell us who God is, and in so doing, to reveal to us who we are, and how we connect one to another. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. 
And it's the gift that keeps on giving. I cannot imagine my life without scripture. You say, well, of course, you're a pastor. You preach on it. Apart from being a pastor. Apart from preaching and teaching on it. I cannot imagine my life. I truly cannot imagine my life without the direction, the boundaries, the guidance, the inspiration, the assurance of scripture, of immersing myself in it on a regular basis, of talking about it in my small group, of, uh, of studying it together as a part of the body of Christ, uh, of reading it in my own daily devotions. I can't imagine my life without it. And if you hear that and you say, yeah, it's just not my experience, it, you know, because you, you read some stuff that you didn't get, or that's why you need community. Take the Alpha course, whatever campus you attend, when it starts here in a couple of weeks. It's a great place to start so that you can immerse yourself into this scripture, into the word of God. Take a Bible study. Come to page two here at the West Des Moines campus if you attend here. Tuesday nights at 6.30. Bring your life group. Or if you're not in a group, come and we'll put you in a group. Get into the word. Don't do it alone. It's not an individual thing. Do it together with the body of Christ. And as you grow in this word, you're going to discover what it is. Folks, if you approach the Bible and you say, oh, it's just not for me, it's not the Bible's fault. It's not that the Bible isn't inspiring. It's that you missed it. And I say that with all the love in my heart because I'm your pastor and I care about you. You missed it and you need to try again. If you tried brushing your teeth once and it didn't go well, would you give up on it? Would you just say, that's it, I'm not going to try again? You missed it. You need this. Dive into the Word, not on your own. Take the Alpha Course. Get into a life group. Show up on Tuesday nights and find that group. Find the gift that keeps on giving. If you hear about all these things and you say, this doesn't sound like much of a party to me, this whole reformation, this whole movement, this whole grace is a free gift and the Bible is the word of God and the only authority. It's not that these things aren't a party. It's that you're missing the party. And I don't want you to miss it, please. I do not want you to miss this party. I do not want you to miss what God has for you in this life because you can live your whole life trying to figure out what God has for you, but if you don't do it God's way, you're going to miss it. Romans 12 says, do not conform yourself anymore to the ways of this world. Stop playing church. Stop going through the motions. Stop reducing Christianity to a bunch of rituals and religious stuff that you do once in a while when you can fit it into your schedule. Make it who you are. Turn around, Romans 12 goes on to say. Change the way you think. Let God transform the way you think. Then you will have the answer to the question. I get more than any other question that gets asked over 25 years as a pastor. People come up to me, they say, Pastor Mike, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know what I'm supposed to do in this situation? How do I know which way I'm supposed to go? How do I know? How do I know? Romans 12 gives you the answer. Change the way you think. Stop playing the church game. Turn around and let this become who you are. Become a part of this movement. Here comes the party. Here it comes for you. It's the word of God. Turn around and pour yourself into it. Then the Bible says you won't be faking it anymore. You can tell the truth about who you are. You don't have to pretend to be more moral, more pure, more holy than you really are. You just get to be you. 
You don't have to be those things to get God. You just have to be you. Turn around, change the way you think. Follow me, Jesus says, and I'll show you a better way, a deeper truth, and a more abundant life. Turn around. And then Romans 12 says, when you do that, when you change the way you think, when you let God change the way you think, listen to this, then you'll know what God's good and pleasing and perfect will is for your life. But there are no shortcuts. You can't get there from just, well, I don't really need the Bible to get there, do I? Yeah, you do. Think of the Bible this way. God has got something to say to you. And he, he's knocking on the door of your heart to tell you every day of your life. Will you let him? Will you open your heart and your mind and your ears to hear what God has to say? He's speaking to you. I just wish God would tell me. I just wish God would say something. He's saying something. This is his living word. Our Bible reading for today, it's active and living. It's alive. It speaks to me. It runs after me, Luther says. Let it in. When that happens, you get the access, and you get the freedom, and you get the new life. Full access. How much do you think one of those full access passes would have cost for the Mayweather-McGregor fight last night? Front row. Celebrities and famous people are jockeying for position for this fight. Maybe you didn't hear about the fight. It was hyped just a little over the last few months. Just a little bit. But here's J-Lo and A-Rod. And of course, they're in the front row because they've got VIP access. They, what, what do you think that's worth? LeBron was there. LeBron is so cool, he wears shades indoors. That's, that's beyond cool. That's just like above and beyond cool. William H. Macy was there, the, the famous actor. Who is, I'll just throw this in there. Look it up, it's true, a Lutheran. Also, uh, Bruce Willis was there with uh, producer Jerry Buckheimer. Bruce Willis is also a Lutheran, had VIP full access. This one's gonna blow you away. Ozzy Osbourne and his wife Sharon Osbourne were there, and guess what, Ozzy Osbourne is a... No, he's not, I don't know what he is, but... <laughs> but, but he was at the fight, and he got one of these all access passes, and these are pictures from that last night. You think that's good? You've got something better. It's here. It's, don't let the fact that we give away free Bibles make you think that it's cheap. This stuff will change your life. And not just for one night of entertainment at a, at a boxing match in Las Vegas or paying $100 to watch it on TV. We're talking about every day of the rest of your life. This will change your life. What's that worth? Luther said the soul can do without everything except the word of God. True. He also said the Bible is alive. There it is, that famous quote from Hebrews 4. His commentary on Hebrews 4. It speaks to me. It has feet. It's like it runs after me. It has hands that lays a hold of me. He said, that's not my experience. You're missing it. It's not because the Bible isn't that. It is. You're just missing the party. You're missing the whole point of which you were created. Helmut Thielicke, the great theologian, said, someday we ought to put on the gravestones of all sorts of people around us, brilliant performance, but you missed the point. 
you were chasing after the wind. You were going after all the stuff that, that doesn't fill your soul up, that isn't enough to satisfy you. VIP access. You've got full access because of what God has done. Because salvation is a free gift. It's not just God's word coming to you, it's your words going back up to God in prayer. A response to this love. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing, Luther wrote. He also wrote the famous line that a lot of people say somebody else did, but it was Luther who said it first, pray and let God worry. Pray about it and, and, and surrender it. Get, give up your worries to God. That's what prayer can do for you. I have so much to do, Luther wrote, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. Your schedule needs to change. Don't miss this party. Say, so, Mom, my prayer life is not that good. It's time to quit playing church. It's time to quit going through the motions. It's time to learn how to develop a prayer life. And we're here for you for that. We can, we can point you to that. That's what it means to be a Christian and a part of this Reformation movement. And it's not even just in the Bible and in prayer and in conversation with God. It's, it's in creation and the wonder and the beauty of it. The eclipse this last week, that's just God showing off, isn't it? That was pretty impressive. And I was an eclipse skeptic. I got to, I'm like, oh, it's just all a bunch of, blah, blah, blah. How, how fun is it going to be if the moon goes in front of the sun and it gets dark? Whoop-de-doo. And then I went out and I looked at it and the clouds were there and I put my sunglasses on and did what my eye doctor said I shouldn't do and I looked right at it. Because, you know, you get to a certain age, you don't care anymore. You just, you just look. I'm not going to miss this. And it was, it was awesome. Here's a picture that Justin Rogers, who plays guitar in one of our volunteer bands up here, he took in Wyoming during the eclipse. The time, isn't that cool? God's an incredible artist, which inspired people who were into his word and knew salvation was a gift to write hymns like, How Great Thou Art, God. What a beautiful Savior you are, God. Have you caught that lately? Do you give God praise for it? Here's another photo that Ryan Buck took, who's also a part of our family. He put a whole video together that he's producing on the eclipse that he saw in Wyoming with Justin. And then, just to put a nice PS to the whole day, if you live here in West Des Moines, you probably didn't miss it, did you, after the rain? The big, brilliant double rainbow up in the sky? Wow. God writes the gospel not in the Bible alone, but also on trees and in flowers and clouds and stars, Luther wrote. Are you missing this party? Are you soaking it up? Because there's glory all around you. There's glimpses of the kingdom of God that are breaking through all around you. Soak it up. Don't miss it. It's not just access, but it's the freedom. It's like getting on a new bike and being able to go. Freedom to love. We don't love people to earn points to get into heaven, we love people. And we don't love people to get saved, we love people because we are saved. There's a big difference there. It's a natural response to what God has done for us, and so we love our neighbors, and we love our friends, and we love our coworkers, and we love our enemies, Jesus says. And we love our families, and if you're called to marriage, we love our spouses. I'm so glad Martin Luther got married. That changed my life too. That was a really good thing for me. The Christian man, you know why he got married? Because he couldn't find anything in the Bible that says leaders of churches shouldn't get married. Not one word. Just a tradition. 
The Christian man's supposed to love his neighbor, and since his wife is his nearest neighbor, she should be his deepest love. Freedom. Freedom to love people. Freedom to serve. Freedom to activate your faith. Whether it's giving money in the offering plates today on the way out for hurricane victims in Texas, or if that's not what the Spirit's nudging you to do, that's, that's fine. There's no guilt here for that. Give where God leads you to give, but give. You were created to give, not just take, not just consume. We, we put the offering buckets out just to give you an opportunity for that, not because we want you to feel forced or guilted into doing it. Give freely, the Bible says. Each of you should give freely because God loves a cheerful giver. If it's not a cheerful gift, give to something else so that it can be a cheerful gift. A Christian's the most free Lord of all, subject to none, but a Christian is also the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. And if that's too complicated, we're gonna unpack that and, and make it easy to digest over the next few weeks. It's an important statement because it talks about the Christian life, how we live it out. But Luther gave a simpler version of it when he said, God doesn't need your good works because it's stuff he's already done for you, but your neighbor does. Your neighbor needs them. So it's a false understanding of the Protestant Reformation to say, well, we don't do good works. <laughs> no, we do. It's just where we place them. We do it because our neighbor needs it, not because we're trying to earn God's favor. God's already given us his favor, and because he has saved us, this is what we do. Let me change the way you think, God says through his word. Let me align your life in a, in a whole different way. Freedom. It's the freedom to love our friends, it's the world around us, people. It's the freedom to serve wherever your passion is to serve, and to carry out your mission. And it's the freedom to praise. Luther loved music. He says, a person who doesn't regard music as marvelous must be a quad hopper. <laughs> Luther was pretty saucy with his language. In fact, I put dot, dot, dot there because the rest of this paragraph is not rated G. In a more somber moment, Luther wrote about this. Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. So that's the way we're gonna close the service. I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors at each of the campuses now so that they can move into that closing song. Here in West Des Moines, we're going to um, sing this song, but I, I want to encourage you as you do. Luther summed it all up this way when he said, this is the reason why our theology, the way we think about God is certain. This is how we know it's right. Because it isn't something we invented because it isn't something we made up. It's something we discovered. It's outside of ourselves. To be a Lutheran means to be seized by the truth of God's word. It doesn't mean to invent some version of God that we like. It means to just let God be God, the way he reveals himself to us through the scriptures. Whether we like it or not, we don't vote on it. We just let God be God. It seizes us from ourselves and places us outside ourselves. So what appears to be kind of a pompous and arrogant statement at first ends up to be the most humble of all statements. The reason we know it's true is because it isn't us. It's God. It's us discovering what God has revealed. It's us discovering what the scriptures say. It's us going back to who we are and who God is 
and rediscovering it. It's a radical party. You don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this. Because we're not just talking about a denomination or a religion here. We're talking about the life you were created to live. And finding your rhythm. And finding your step. And finding your song. And singing it out. You can sing this closing song one of two ways. You don't even have to sing it. You can leave, right? It's free country. It's free church. And if you have to go, you have to go. But I will tell you, we're early today. <laughs> you can just go through the motions and play church and say, oh, we're here singing our song. I don't know if I like it as much as some of the other songs. I do like it a lot. And so you rate a song. That would be kind of like the human approach to worship. Or you can open your heart and open your mind and start right here and say, this is a God who loves me so much that he gave his son for me as a sacrifice for my sin. And that sacrifice gives me access to the creator of the universe, VIP pass, anytime I want it. And that gift gives me freedom, freedom to be who God has created me to be, not to try to score points for heaven, but just because God has saved me. Open your heart and think about that as you stand up. Let's stand up and sing. And responding to God's amazing grace, sing it out. Sing out in praise. You know, the Bible says make a joyful noise. Some of you are like, I, I, I will not sing out. I love the people standing in front of me too much. <laughs> no, the Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't say your harmony needs to be perfect. It says noise. So if anybody looks at you funny for making a, hitting a bad note, Open up the Psalms and say, hey, it's in the Bible, pal. I'm going to make my noise. Make your noise. Sing your song. Find your step. God is here and he's on the move and he's inviting you to the party. Amen? Amen. Let's go, church.